this 2023 iteration is doing things a bit differently. Hello everyone. Hola a todos. You are listening to Miami Total Football Radio, the number one podcast for all things Inter-Miami, a podcast that has been listened to in 50 countries and counting. More than 50 countries, actually. It's also a podcast where the beautiful game collides with passion and analysis. And yes, we are bilingual here, so this is a bilingual podcast. And we will be providing you with all the latest news, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much, much more on Inter-Miami via, well, normally a group of seasoned South Florida-based reporters. This time, it's just a duo, a dynamic duo. I'm one half of that duo. My name is Franco Panizo, one of your regular co-hosts, and the other half is none other than Ajisita herself, formerly known as Andrea Yanis. Andrea, no Jose in the house this week, but I know you're ready to fill the void, fill the shoes, carry the load. Andrea, how are you doing today? Hi, Franco. Nice to be back. Yeah, I'm representing our household in the podcast today alone, but I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. Uh, this is going to be, I, I expect a good podcast with a little less fighting than usual because when the team is winning, Everything flows, right? So it's going to be a little bit interesting to see. We will always find something to fight about. So <laughs> well, let's do it. Can let's you, get ready. Can you dispel the rumors that Jose is not on this week's show because you punished him because of the Media Cup or the Media Game <laughs> defeat that we suffered? Can you dispel that rumor? I cannot either confirm or deny. <laughs> He's going to be back. We're going to go on a week-to-week basis. Okay. All right. Dep- depends how much how much smack talk he has brought up in the household in the week leading up to the pod. Okay. Understood. Understood. All right. Well, we have quite a bit to talk about, and we might not disagree, like Andrea said, all that much this week. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Maybe we see things a bit differently. But it's clear that the narrative around Inter-Miami right now is a positive one because they have gotten off to... A very good start to this 2023 season. Back-to-back wins after defeating the Philadelphia Union. We will dive into and analyze that match, the most recent victory. We will preview this upcoming weekend's match against New York City FC. We are going to talk about what a finish from the finish. Robert Taylor's golazo. We're going to talk about that as well as a lot of other individual performances and starts to the season. So we've got a lot to talk about. But before we get to all of that, Andrea, what does this podcast also go by? Miami Total Football Radio. <laughs> uh, I'm that, going see, for your job now. See, that, see, wasn't that fun? Wasn't that fun? I thought you were going to say Miami, though, in Spanish, but you went with Miami, but that's fine. That's fine. Wasn't Miami. That, wasn't Miami. that fun? Wasn't that yes, fun? Was. I challenge all the listeners out there. To do it at home, you don't have to. You don't have to say, say it on the mic. You don't have to send us an audio, but just do it at home and see if you have as much fun as we do. It. Maybe your rolling of the R's is exquisite. Maybe it's not, but I guarantee you, if you try it, you'll probably have a good time. So, Andrea, thank you for that. Let's get to it. All right. So we are going to jump right into it all here. No other news to talk about beforehand. Jumping straight into this most recent game, which took place this past Saturday at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale. 
the week two or match day two Eastern Conference bout between Inter-Miami and the Philadelphia Union. And Inter-Miami wins this game by a 2-0 mark. Goals from Corentin Kokojan in the 32nd minute. That's the game winner. And then Robert Taylor with a stunning volley in the 77th minute to ice the match. We will dive into the golazos that they both scored in just a second. But this was Inter-Miami's starting lineup against the Philadelphia Union. It was the same lineup as in week one. So like Jose predicted a week ago, Jose Armando, who is not in the house. He's in the equip- <laughs> Well, equipo que gana no se toca, as Jose said last week. Yeah. A winning team goes untouched. And that's exactly the mantra that Phil Neville adopted or the approach that Phil Neville went with because uh, 4-2-3-1 again. There was Drake Calder in goal, DeAndre Yedlin, Sergi Kristoff, Christopher McVeigh and Franco Negri were your was your back four from right to left. The first line of the midfield was comprised of Gene Mota and Gregory. The second line of the midfield from right to left, Corentin Cocojan, Nicolas Stefanelli, Rodolfo Pizarro, and then up top as the nine, Joseph Martinez. So, we've given the quick recap, we've given the lineup, but we've got to dive into probably the biggest individual talking point from this game and that is Robert Taylor's golazo his highlight reel finish spectacular stuff uh it, you know just just the overall scenes the emotion at the stadium I mean there's so much to talk about there like I loved every bit of Phil Neville's reaction to the goal and it's a shame that the camera on the broadcast doesn't really catch it but in the stadium it's what my eyes went to first I just I don't know if it was just by pure coincidence that I caught it as opposed to seeing Robert Taylor's celebration but uh Phil Neville for those who may have missed it he as soon as he sees the goal he's he's facing the play of course and as soon as the ball goes in he turns around he literally bursts into a scene of ecstasy he turns around arms flailing to the side runs over to Jorge Mas Gives Jorge Mas a very euphoric, very passionate hug. Then after that, he stands on like the, I don't know what you call it. Uh, where we sat after the media game, the little, I don't know what you call that. The things that like, are in front of the suites, the, it's not a seating area, but it's like a, a block. A block, like, a block of concrete. <laughs> it's like a block of concrete that like st- is in front of all the outdoor VIP area so that, you know, you, there's some separation from the field. Um... And Phil Neville, if I'm not mistaken, from what I can see in the press box, he stands on that and he ri- he raises both of his fists. Again, just pure ecstasy, pure bliss. And he gives a f- double fist pump to the West Stand. And that's as Robert Taylor and Inter-Miami uh, players are celebrating the goal on the field. Andrea, you had a much different vantage point than I did. Because you're on the field, you're taking pictures, and you weren't, at least in this game, because I know sometimes, you know, you're next to me in the press box, filling in for Jose, but on this one, you were on the field. What can you share with us about your vantage point of that exquisite piece of a goal? Well, listen, I was sitting there, and I was thinking, watching the play, I was thinking, like, Mota was going to link up with Pizarro right. uh, when, when the play began. But I didn't expect that from Robert Taylor. When I saw him move, I like realized what what was going to happen, and I saw him hit it like that. It was a very nice goal, a very technical uh, finish, uh, finish that not many players can do, especially in this league. Mm-hmm. 
and um, it was amazing. And in the field, I saw field, but then I concentrated on the players because the players couldn't believe it. And my favorite thing to personally see is Gregory because Gregory genuinely is such a nice guy that he gets so happy <laughs> when anyone scores because I have seen him when Pizarro scored his that goal in preseason. He was ecstatic. I saw him with... Um, Corentin Jean, uh, with his goal in the first half, he was ecstatic. But I saw his face in this goal and when he went to hug Robert Taylor, and he was like the best description that I could see because his face was like, oh my God, what a goal. And also my favorite thing was yelling because I was taking pictures. Of course, I have to follow the, the players celebrating. And Yellin's face, he went and hugged Robert Taylor and they went running to celebrate with the people. And Yellin had his his like hand over his mm -hmm. face and he was saying like i don't believe it i can't I don't believe, believe it like wow yeah 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 yeah, yeah. because yeah. that was the quality of that goal and in that moment after they finished celebrating i sent you guys a text and i told you that is what uh, going to train to europe for two weeks makes you remember how to <laughs> kick the ball like that because it was really really a nice goal one of the best goals i've seen in mls listen Uh, only Slatan, Henry, Sean Wright Phillips, Joseph in his good days. Bra I have Bradley, seen Bradley Wright Phillips. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Bradley. Sorry. <laughs> I was talking about his brother who did not do so good. But uh, only those players I have seen score goals like that in this league. And it was really nice to see. And it was really nice to see also the people because I like watching uh, the photos after. And I saw the people uh, in during the celebrations and everyone was like, wow. Surprise! When you score a when a uh, a goal like that is scored, everyone gets happy. Everyone gets uh, like in party mode, in celebration mode, and especially because what of that goal meant. Because in that moment, Philadelphia was looking like they were going to get a tie, right? So the the goal game came in an exact good moment and make the place go crazy and made everyone go crazy. Phil Neville said it was probably our one moment of quality in the second half. Robert Taylor said it's probably the best goal of his career. So, I mean, this was a fine, fine goal. If you have not seen it somehow, between Saturday and the time you're listening to this podcast, do yourself the favor and look up that goal. Whether it's on uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, find that goal And watch it. You'll probably want to watch it more than once. If you've seen it, you probably want to watch it again after listening to this. Because that's how good the goal was. It should absolutely be uh, the goal of the week. It is definitely, unless this season is MLS season is full of exquisite goals, it's definitely going to be in contention for goal of the season in MLS. Just because that's, that's how good the goal is. I agree with you, though. And I do think Gene Mota's pass was initially intended for Rodolfo Pizarro. I don't necessarily think it was for Robert Taylor. I think Robert Taylor, just because of where he was positioned and he was fresh, he had just entered the game. You know, he makes he makes a run and kind of intercepts the ball, if you will. But he, the way he brings it down perfectly with his chest and does not let the ball hit the ground, he f hits a ferocious right-footed volley that Andre Blake, one of Major League Soccer's top goalkeepers, if not the best goalkeeper in the league, could do nothing about you know he he tries to make the effort tries to get his his right hand up if I'm not mistaken but the ball came with so much venom that it gets over him into the back of the net drive pink stadium 
is elated in full party mode that iced the game that put the exclamation point on the week two victory which we will dive into in just a second but again i want to reiterate that i really really like just phil neville's celebration and the reason why i say that is because it's a week two game you know even though it's a golazo you could see other coaches kind of just you know applaud it or or you know raise a fist but just the way Phil Neville burst into that level of excitement shows to me how much it means to him. And yeah, for week listen. two, that yeah. I think that's that's I think that's not something you see in a lot of teams in MLS this early in the season. And I don't think that's the type of intensity you can you can see in a lot of teams. So the fact that he expressed that, the way he showed that, to me, it means that it means a lot to him at this early junction. I agree. I agree. It means a lot to him. Listen, and and Phil comes from a place where you see goals like this every weekend. So he knows what a goal like this means. He knows what it means, especially to Robert. So um, I I think you get that into account and you see the union that this group has. No, maybe. Pun, no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was unintentional. And um, I, I really like to see feel like that because, listen, to be a coach, you need to you need to show your emotions sometimes. Okay, so I think we just heard either your dog Figo trying to make a guest appearance on the pod, either that or it's Jose trying to sneak his way back on after saying he couldn't make it. <laughs> One of the two. One of the two. Uh, but. Let's let's go on because I mean we could talk about that goal for a good long while. I mean, yeah, it, it we're is... gonna talk about it right now. Listen, I, I, like you said, I don't think we're gonna see a lot of those goals in the season. So from now, I can tell you that it's gonna be in the top three of the candidates of goal of the season. I, you know what? I think we should. I think we need to dedicate a little bit more time. I think we just again because it's technically so very good. There's there's potencia, there's power behind the shot as well. I mean, like you said, I don't think there's many players. I don't know if in MLS, but I'll say I don't think there's many players on Inter Miami that can score that goal. Yes. The way he breaks, and it's not even like he chested the ball down uh, in stride. Like the ball was a little bit behind him. Again, I don't think it was intended for him. It's a little bit behind him, but he, the way he chests it and gets the ball uh, forward in front of his body, and then is able to smack it with that right foot before the ball hits the ground i mean it's technical perfection exquisite exquisite finish from the finish it was an exquisite finish that is the thing it, when i was there and i saw it i was like wow this this is football this is what it's meant to be and especially in that goal post because it's the one that is in front of la familia absolutely absolutely gave gave the fans a reason a big reason to smile and you know look we'll, we'll we'll close things off by saying that well again i think the pass was for pizarro was intended because i don't think he's lofting that pass to, to robert taylor look the fact that robert taylor could do that it's only going to boast or excuse me boost his confidence as he gets back integrated into the team he had been away in europe in finland uh working on his green card paperwork phil neville said they almost didn't even have him in the match day roster for this game against the Philadelphia Union, but they know his quality, so they had him in there. And this happened seconds after he came on. You know, it, his initial touch, his first touch after entering the game, happened just before the goal. He receives a pass out on the left, 
And he had a player one-on-one. And I expected him, I was sitting in the press box with Jose, I expected him to go at that player. Like, I thought he would take him on the dribble because Robert Taylor has some some dribbling abilities to him. But he didn't. And he played it back out. And Jose and I agreed that we thought it was because he was... No, no estaba perfilado. So he wasn't on his preferred right foot. He was on his left foot in terms of where he was positioned uh, on the field at that time. But then with that pass backwards... Then comes the, the lob eventually, and then obviously chests it down, and then with his preferred right foot, hits it, smacks it into the back of the net, and creates a very good moment and a very good memory for Inter. I also love Pizarro's face. that You can see it clearly when when you see the, the replay. I love Pizarro's face because when he saw what was happening, you could see it dawn on him like, like you can see him say that. So it was it, a gem. It was a it gem. It was a gem. Yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun. And it and w- the reason why I say look it up and not look at look it up on Miami Total Football's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, uh, or any social media accounts is because due to Apple's new deal with MLS, we are not permitted to share highlights. So there you go. Unless we're like push tweeting on Twitter, which is allowed from, you know, the MLS account or whatever account, uh, we are not allowed to share highlights. Only media that can share highlights is over the air television. Womp womp. But that unfortunately is our new reality. So, but you can find it. It's out there on YouTube. It's out there on InterMiami's Twitter. Check it out. It's uh, it's it's worth watching over and over and over again. Okay, let's dive into the game, Andrea, because we've got quite a bit to talk about with regards to this match that improved Inter Miami to two and zero for the first time in franchise history. They are tied for first place right now in the Eastern Conference with the New England Revolution, the only two teams in that conference to be perfect through the first two match days of the regular season. What were your thoughts on the game? Well. Give a little more analysis in a moment, but just give me your your initial impressions and thoughts on the victory. Well, I think um, Inter Miami played uh, well in in the moments of the game that they had to. They took advantage of the chance that they got in the first half with that uh, Coco goal, and that was really important. That was really important, and they could uh, when Philadelphia was looking dangerous again. They made some changes and Inter Miami like um, brought their intensity down. Um, Robert Taylor's gem came and that um, put the game in their pockets. So I think that was important because you really need, when a team is going to be good, they are not going to play good like every minute of, a, of every match. So when they are not playing good, like they were in the second half when Philadelphia was coming on top of them and viniendo se les con todo and attacking, um, they got a goal. So I think that was the most important thing that in this season, and that is a difference from last season, in this season, they have been able to do that. Maybe not playing the best football in the second half, but they got the three points. So I guess that is the bottom line and that is the most important thing so i split this game up into three parts the first half the first half of the second half and then the second half of the second half if that makes sense so the, the first 45 for me were pretty 
even. It was a cagey affair, pretty physical matchup. A lot of fouls, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And I was covering this game for the Miami Herald in place of Michelle Kaufman, uh, who was covering the UM basketball. So if I recall correctly, there were 16 fouls in that first half. Eight apiece. So distributed evenly between the two teams. The first, referee was horrendous. Let me say that. Now uh, that you remind I don't know if he was great, but I don't know if he was horrendous. He was horrendous. I don't know if he was like horrendous. Like yelling clapped in his face. And that is a textbook, textbook, exactly that it I, says on the reglamento, rule book, whatever you say in English. It says that that is a yellow card and Yelin clapped for a whole minute in front of him. And the referee was like, la, 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 la. I guess we found our first uh, thing that we'll really disagree about because I don't think he had a horrendous game. I don't think he had a great game. I don't think he covered himself in glory, but I don't think it was horrendous. I don't think there was any real blown calls or missed calls. The game was chippy. The game was feisty. Kai Wagner got into it with a few different Inter-Miami players over the course because of 90 minutes. Because he led him. That is the problem. That is my opinion, that the, the referee let the Philadelphia players play a little bit rough. I mean, the game was, the first 45 minutes, again, there's eight fouls apiece. So, you know, there was a lot of fouling from both sides. And there weren't a whole lot of chances in that first half. So the first half to me wasn't uh, uh, an incredible display of, of football. However, if you give me the balance of play and I tell you who was the better side, I would say Inter-Miami. Were they overly threatening? No. But they were the more dangerous side. They were the team that looked more likely to score. And Coco John's goal comes off of a, you know, listen, we've raved about Robert Taylor's goal. But, you know, Coco's goal also deserves his plaudits and praise because he hit a pinpoint laser from the right side from a good bit of way out. And he, he found the bottom left corner beat Andre Blake there, who I think gets a hand to it, but just can't get enough of it. It was a very well-hit shot from distance. It was a golazo. It just any other game, we're talking more about that goal, but because of Robert Taylor's goal, uh, Coco John's finish kind of uh, falls into the, to the, to the, to the back. So a nice goal from him helps. It's a moment of quality, and it helps Inter-Miami take a lead into halftime. But... I don't think that first half was particularly good one way or the other. I think it was pretty even. Again, I thought Inter-Miami was the better, but overall, not, not, not a whole lot created in that final third. We'll talk about why in just a moment. We'll talk about Joseph Martinez. But the second half, Philadelphia Union comes out, and I agree that they started looking a little bit better. They started finding their way. They started pushing Inter-Miami back into its own defensive third a little bit. Don't think they overly tested Drake Callender. I don't think Inter-Miami's defense was overly tested. They did a lot of resolute defending. Thought the back line was very solid again. Second straight game with a clean sheet. Again, we'll also talk about that here in just a moment. But then came the substitutions. Then came the introduction of Bryce Duke. Then came uh, Ariel Lasseter. Then came Ryan Saylor. And I think the substitutions helped Inter-Miami. Especially Bryce Duke, who... He also had a couple moments where thought he was a bit too careless with the ball, but overall, the way he entered this game and took advantage of a very stressed Philadelphia Union, the spaces that were left open, and the way he combined and played very quick, one-touch passes, two-touch passes, that helped Inter-Miami rediscover uh, a bit more from the run of play. They were able to, to take back some control. 
And then obviously, like you said, they get a goal at a very good time. And then that pretty much ices the game. From that point on, they kind of went back into a shell. You even see on the broadcast, as I, I rewatch the game, like I do every game, you see when uh, when Robert Taylor comes in before Inter Miami uh, scores that second goal. Robert Taylor says, 5-4-1. You see him do the hand gesture twice uh, as he's coming in. And he was playing left wing back. So Inter Miami went to a 5-4-1. The, the four was not a flat four. It was Gregory and Gene Mota. And then ahead of them in the half spaces, so not quite wingers, but not quite attacking midfielders. You know, they're, they were in the half spaces, a little bit pushed out wide, but not that wide, uh, were Rodolfo Pizarro and Bryce Duke. So, um, you know, we saw a different different look from Inter Miami there as they try to close out the game, and they do. I thought Ryan Saylor did pretty, pretty well. Um, you know, again, like Coco John's goal, a little bit of an afterthought because of everything else that occurred over the course of 90 minutes, but I thought Ryan Saylor had an impressive performance off the bench. And a, and a lot of players played well in this one. I think I think the difference uh, of Inter-Miami uh, in the second half was really Bryce Duke. Uh, Ariel also came and, and, and did a good job. But I really like Bryce Duke. Listen, Bryce Duke needs to play a lot of more minutes. He gets along well with Pizarro. He gets along well with Mota. He gets along well with Gregory. He's a very dangerous player that needs more playing time. And I guess with his um, showings in, in these two games that he has come in, he's earned to play more minutes, especially because Stefanelli is still not 100%. Um, he can only play 60 minutes, 65 minutes. And I think Bryce will get more chances as the season advances. And as the heat and all of that, you know, players are not 100% as with Stefanelli and, and Joseph Martinez. So I think we're going to see more of Bryce Duke. Um, it's really enjoyable to see him play. I really like that combination between Pizarro, Duke, Mota. I really like it. Inter Miami looks good. I think Ariel came on good. Um, it's really unfortunate that he has to come in like a striker because that is not his position. But hopefully we can see him more during the season. I think he showed last year that he can be a valuable player for the team also. And I agree with you that when Sailor came in after Negri <laughs> left the game, it, I was concerned because McVeigh went and played a couple of minutes as, um, as the left back. As the right, left right. back. They, they initially stayed in that 4-2-3-1 when yeah. Franco Negri left the game with an injury. Uh, a few minutes later, though, they end up switching again to that five-four-one. Exactly. So uh, I really think Sailor came in well. He uh, he was composed. The team was composed in that moment. I think that goal helped them. Obviously, it did help them, and it came in a perfect moment because uh, Philadelphia was becoming a little bit dangerous, especially on that left side with Bedoya, with Carranza. It, it, they were really, really, once Negri left the game, they were really attacking that left side. Uh, Inter-Miami committed a lot of fouls there, and they got a, uh, a little bit of opportunities from there. So I think Phil read it well and, and brought Sailor in, and it solidified the game, and they got a clean, another clean sheet. So that is positive. Um, I, think, I think we're going to have our second disagreement here before we get to the defense, because... Bryce Duke did have a good game in this match. I liked him better in week two than I liked him than I saw what I saw from him in week one. I do think that the the game 
the way it unfolded and developed, I think it played to his strengths. Because again, there was a lot more spaces for him to attack. And yes, he played some very good passes. He, you know, he was quick with his decisions. I like that. And I do think it'll help him earn more minutes as the season goes along and it'll help his confidence. But in games where the other team is not pushing so much forward and there's not so many spaces to attack, I still have questions as to whether he's he can be effective enough, consistently enough in those scenarios to to really, really take that next step. That's what that's just my what I what I think. I know you like the way he combines. He is a technical player. Right, so you know he's he can be silky smooth on the ball, and again he had a good game in this one, but I still have questions about him in certain scenarios and with certain decisions that he makes. The one thing you didn't we didn't touch on here, and one of the reasons why Ariel Lasseter had to enter the game as a striker when he made his substitute cameo is because Schneider Borgelin suffered an injury leading up to this game, and he was ruled out. We've been told he is day to day, but you know how Inter-Miami likes to classify its injury. So, very well could not be day-to-day. I heard Schneider Borgelin suffered that injury in Inter-Miami's friendly that they had the Sunday after the Week 1 match against CF Montreal. Inter-Miami played Miami FC. FC. By the way, I have that score because I know Jose asked Phil (laughs) Phil at at one of the media availabilities afterwards, and Phil just said, it was a good game and walked away. Two to two. Two to two. That's the result I was told. So Inter-Miami tied Miami FC. Or Inter-Miami's backups, reserves, substitutes, whatever. They tied Miami FC two to two. Uh, let's talk about another area that was very good. Or another aspect of Inter-Miami that was very good. And that was the defensive performance. Like you mentioned, second week in a row, Inter-Miami posted a clean sheet. No goal surrendered yet in 2023 in the MLS regular season, which Phil Neville, former defender, will be very, very happy and proud about. Andrea, we don't, let's talk bigger picture. Because in this game, we've talked about the defense. We've talked about how Ryan Saylor came in, how they switched to a back five, the back four. I mean, let's just talk bigger picture here. How impressed are you with this defense? And what is the difference? What do you see in this defense <laughs> that, that you didn't see in last year's defense. Franco, the difference is clear. It he, he, he measures. I don't know how how Americans measure in feet, but I don't measure in feet. He measures like two, <laughs> like we say in Latin America, two 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 meters. Dos tall, metros, dos metros. Uh, dos metros, two meters tall, and that is so like six feet, case. six feet something. Yes, I don't know the conversion. I, I really don't know it. It's usually so around far. six feet. Dos metros, six. you're talking a little bit more than six feet. Yeah, six, yeah. Maybe, actually, it could be like six foot if we're being like accurate, like trying he, to be accurate. Yeah, he is very tall, and he is the principal reason why this defense is better. And we've been talking about him uh, since they got him. Jose even said that he was going to be a star in this team. He listen, he's the star of the of this defense, but also the addition of Negri, who is also a quality player that comes back, even though if he he likes to attack, but he comes back and defends with everything. He has an engine, man. He has yes, Fra- Fra- he Franco is, Negri has an engine. Yes. And he is really an impressive, impressive player that has uh shown only in the games that we have seen of preseason and these two games 
of the beginning of the season that he has shown that this league no le quedo grande, like Shakira and Carol G say, <laughs> because he has adapted very what well. What a reference. Yes, you know, I had to get it in there some, somehow. <laughs> but uh, he has he has shown that he is ready for this league. And so I think um, Sergei is the big reason and Negri is the second big reason why this defense is better. Uh, I When they traded Damian Lowe, I was a little bit skeptical. I remember we talked about it in the podcast and I said, mm, let's see. I think they brought... Um, an upgrade in Sergei, and this is the difference that it makes. And he brings calms, he brings calms to the defense, he brings um, leadership to the defense, especially for Drake, especially for McVeigh. And he is the perfect piece that I guess Phil was looking for. He has brought a lot. Sergei Kristoff Kristoff has brought a lot to Inter Miami because he brings composure, calmness. A very good reading and understanding of the game. He's only six foot one, officially. So he's not he's not the tall. He's not actually six four, but he plays very big back there just because he's he's so good positionally. He's so good at understanding when to cover for a, a teammate. He's just been very yeah. very good. And I agree he, with you. Franco has- Negri has also been a plus. I mean, he's. It's early days, but he looks like a longer-term solution to a problem Inter Miami has had, and that's the left-back position. I mean, you go back to 2020, we can name a bunch of players that have played that left-back position. It's been a rotating door of players. I mean, last year, Christopher McVeigh, he was playing out of position, and he held his own for the most part, but clearly he struggled at times because it's not his natural spot. But let's go back to 2020. Mikey Ambrose. Breck Shea, uh, Jovin Jones, Kieran Gibbs. I mean, I'm going through the years now, but uh, you know th- that left back has been uh, a headache for Inter Miami since 2020. And Fra- Franco Negri, not because he has the same name as me, not because he's my tocayo, not because he's my namesake, I think he has all the makings to be a long-term solution there. And I think defensively, he does the part in the attack as well. Uh very impressed with both of them. I think they've added to the quality at, of the back line in terms of defensive skills. I think they're both good defenders. I, I mean, Kristoff is better than Damian Lowe as a, as a defender, one on one, in a lot of the defensive aspects. And then and, he, and then it, and then and then Negri is as well compared to you want to say uh, McVeigh as a left back or Gibbs last year's yeah. left. Back. Like he he's an upgrade there. So these are two players yeah. that have upgraded the back line upgraded, in terms of the yeah. overall quality. And I think it also helps simplify things for the other players, especially Negri, right? Especially Negri in terms of the attack, because Negri will now get forward, and the onus is not so much on DeAndre Yedlin to get forward from his spot, because DeAndre Yedlin does project forward well, and he's fast, but he's not the most technical player, right? Like, he doesn't necessarily deliver a whole bunch of quality balls into the box, he hustles, he puts in his effort, you know, he, he he keeps the defenses on their toes. But he's not the most technical. And last year, because McVeigh was playing left back much of the year, DeAndre Yedlin was tasked with providing more to the attack as a fullback because McVeigh just wasn't going to give you that. Now with Negri, DeAndre Yedlin can now more carefully pick and choose his spots. And I think that plays more to his strengths because, again, he's not the most technical player. So I think their, you know, Franco Negri's arrival on the left has given Inter Miami more balance, which in turn simplifies things 
for the back line and for DeAndre Yedlin, which makes him more effective on the field. He's not being asked to do things that he's not necessarily the best at on a yeah. consistent basis. I think that has been a big part of the the overall defense. It allows him to, to you know be in, in defensive positions a bit more, not have to bombard forward. So I, I so far it's early days. It's only two weeks into the season, but the early signs are that this back line, if it can stay healthy and it can stay intact, this back line will be much, much better than what we've seen uh in, in these first few years of Inter Miami's short history. Yeah. I totally agree. And listen, Christoph is also going to be uh, an influence, a good influence on Sailor and Mavica. They should learn from him. Even McVeigh, they should learn from him. He is a true professional. And from what I see, he's going to do well in this league. Uh, and maybe we can see more defenders of quality coming into the league, right? Because uh, we've talked about that here a lot of times, that especially uh, players are brought for the attack only but you can see how one player can make a difference even if he's not design a designated player on paper he is a star f from the team and also i wanted to say something i noticed being on the field of with sergey is that he goes and he knows who to go and um mar like mark his territory because he did it like with kyoto in, with Montreal and he did it with Julian Carranza in this game so he knows he's, he's like mm, I'm gonna give him this kick here I'm gonna elbow him here to show him like you do normally in football like we say in Spanish lo pone quietos and he does it I've seen him in this two game he does it with the most dangerous players that the team has. He did it with Criato and he did it with Julian Carranza. So I really like that. And that is his experience and that is what he brings to his team. Again, he, and he's just, to me, he's just so smart the way he covers for teammates. I mean, there was a couple of plays where Christopher McVeigh uh, got in a little bit of trouble and then you had the, you know, because center backs are supposed to play like expecting an error. You have to provide that cover. And, and he provided that cover on more than one occasion for McVeigh and, and help put out some fires. There's one where he, he comes and makes a sliding challenge to prevent a shot. Um, you know, so very good defensive performance from the team, uh, like what we're seeing so far, like what we're seeing so far from that Inter-Miami backline. Promising, very promising. Now, can't forget about Drake Callender. He also came up with a big save here in this match, still leaving some, you know, some uncertainty and raising some <laughs> questions with the ball at his feet. I mean, The, the play where he makes the fantastic save to keep the game 1-0 in Miami's favor, if I'm not mistaken, is off of a goal kick that he takes. Yes. And, and he takes it so, he <laughs> takes it so poorly. It I was, was like, so what? poor that it didn't go up in the air and was, you know, fought for it in the aerial battle <laughs> for a 50-50. No, it went like almost... Uh, and on a like you know like a how would you describe it? Crap, a perpendicular to... like when you. I'm do trying to think of a baseball term like a, like a like a line drive. It was like a line drive that the Philadelphia Union strikers were like, oh crap, it's coming our way, and they took it and they hit back on a on a two on one or two on two uh, quick attack and transition, open look for if I'm not mistaken Daniel Gazdag, and Drake Callender, to his credit, makes a massive save. Makes up for the error, atones for his mistake, continues to show a high level in terms of shot stopping. And if he continues that for much of the season, I don't think he's long for Inter Miami. I think some team in Europe will come and sign him if he can show that. But there are questions about him with his feet. And he needs to make improvements there. 
Uh, I'm not saying, again, he needs to be Nick Romando or, or Nick Marsman, but he, he can't have those type of mistakes because that's just... No, he's going to get punished eventually. His feet. Yeah, not only with his feet, but um, kicking the ball out. That I don't like how he does it. And you can see sometimes players, uh, the defenders, some of the defenders come and take uh, take uh, Despejan because um, I don't like his technique. I think that is something that he needs to get better. I think he's working on it. Um, and hopefully we see improvement because now he has a good back four in front of him and he needs to be a little bit more confident. And if, listen, they are, they are goalkeepers in the history of, of this sport that don't kick the ball. They they don't like to. They don't like to do it. And the central defender can do it for them. That is normal. That is something that Inter Miami may need to think about because I, I really don't like his 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 uh, kicks, his goal kicks. So hopefully he gets better in that and 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 he advances because he has a, a great capacity, especially saving shots and he just needs to get better in that aspect of the game. Now, let's dive into some other individual performances. And before we do that, actually, I want to update with the news from this week that Inter Miami had three protagonists make the week two or the match day two team or the team of the match day, as it's being called now. It's no longer being called <laughs> team of the week. Sorry. Yeah, I got confused. There, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. It makes more sense to call it team of the match day than it does to call it team of the week because sometimes you have midweek matches. So I get why they've done the change. I like it. It's just taking my brain a little bit of work to to get my head around it. So uh, team of the match day, three Inter-Miami protagonists made it on there. Phil Neville, Gene Mota, Rodolfo Pizarro. All three very deserving, in my opinion. They joined Sergi Kristoff and Drake Callender from week one as Inter-Miami uh, members who have made an MLS Team of the match day in 2023. But let's dive into some of these perform the individual performances. Rolfo Pizarro had a good game in this one. Very good game in this one. I thought he was better in this one than I than he was against CF Montreal. He gets credited with a very flattering assist on the Coco John goal, but overall, a solid performance from him. Uh, very involved, lots of touches, put in the work defensively. Got involved in the attack. I liked what I saw. I know, I'm sure you're going to <laughs> sing his praise right now. You know how I feel and our listeners know how I feel about Pizarro. I'm glad that he's keeping it up, that he's showing the work. Um, we know what he's capable of. And the question was at the start of the season if he was uh, going to be able to maintain it. I think he has shown in these two games, at least at the beginning of the season, that he can get his head into it, that he's very focused, and that he has a good relationship with the team, with the teammates, because I think he feels that he could play with Mota, he can play with Gregory, he can play with Stefanelli, with Price Took, with Robert Taylor, with Ariel Lassiter. He has a good, good, not personal I'm sure he does have a good personal relationship with them, but he has a good footballing relationship with them because they are players that the first season that he was here, Inter Miami didn't have a lot. So now he has them, and those players make him better, have helped him to settle in the team now that he's back, and are helping him to play good. I think he's putting in the work. I think he's playing well, and 
I am standing by my prediction that he's going to be the best player. I agree with you that I think the makeup of the team, the build of the roster, better suits his qualities. There's more technical players on that field. There's more football on this team. So a lot more players he can combine with, connect with, get his touches in while also passing the ball quickly. Like, I think it better suits his characteristics and his strengths. And he talked on Tuesday uh, at the media availability at practice, and he said he's playing with a lot more alegria, a lot more happiness that he maybe he didn't have last time. Now, he didn't mention a certain someone by name, but, <laughs> but, we all but know like, come on, come on. If you've been following this team long enough, you know... Who robbed Pizarro's happiness? <laughs> Well, he's definitely part of the formula. He's definitely part of... He's a factor. He's an ingredient in there. <laughs> he who shall not be named. No, Gonzalo Higuain is who we're talking about. Like, there's absolutely... It's definitely... I'm not going to say that's the only reason. I don't know if it's the major reason, but it's definitely a reason why Pizarro has come back and feels uh, yeah. this alegría, as he's saying, that he didn't feel before he left on his loan to Monterrey in 2022. So... Uh, Pizarro was also asked about his contract and whether you know he's talked to Inter Miami about extending his stay. He said no. He said he's focused on just playing the season out and then you know seeing what happens from there. I don't think he comes back in any way, shape, or form unless he scores you know ten plus goals and gets ten plus assists. And even then, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if uh, if he returns in twenty twenty four, but twenty twenty three off to a good start. Uh, Andrea Jean Mota. I think he deserves a shout here as well. Uh, had a, had a had a good game. He he was taking shots from distance. He got an assist as well. Uh, although I don't know if you know it was intentional or not, but it was an assist nonetheless. And you know he he was probably Inter Miami's most dangerous player in this yeah. one. You know I he really he, he took he took a cross that I don't think counts as a shot. It didn't count statistically speaking by uh, whoever keeps the stats as a shot. Um, but he took a cross that I thought was a shot, but I guess it's a cross in the first half off a free mm-hmm. kick that Andre Blake punched out. Um, it went straight towards goal. He also took a shot in the second half that stung off the crossbar. That's, that, for some reason, I disagree with this wholeheartedly. That doesn't count as a shot on target. I think it should. If it hits the post, you put it on target. It just didn't go in. Um, but nonetheless, Gene Mota, a very good game, was also very involved on the defensive side, breaking things up. Some very good one-touch passes. Um, did have a couple turnovers here and there. One that almost led to a dangerous chance for the Philadelphia Union. But a solid game for Gene Mota. An impressive game for him. Deserved a uh, shout there on team of the match day, in my opinion. Yeah, I really like I really like uh, Mota's dynamic this season. Also, Gregoria deserves... For me, listen, I talked about Sergei, about Negri, but for me, uh, three best players in these two games for Inter Miami have been Pizarro, Gregore, and Mota. Uh, I really like what they're doing. As you say, they have a, a little mistakes here and there, but they are playing really well, and they are playing well in the system and with what Phil wants from them. So I, I really like them. Mota was good. One thing I would like to see is Mota and Pizarro um, uh uh, that they divide the corners, they divide the free kicks or uh, jugadas preparadas because sometimes uh, when the same player does it all all a game, sometimes you don't get different ideas. So I think they should really divide and one set of corners should go to Mota and one set of corners should go to Pizarro and one free kick should go to Mota and one free kick should go to Pizarro, one to Stefanelli. But that's just something that I saw 
this game that 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 I thought about. Now, we have to talk about this is both a plus and a minus here for Inter Miami, and, and we'll dive into it. I think it does deserve some discussion, and I think it's an interesting. I think it's a very interesting talking point, and and we're already running long here, so maybe we won't dive into it as in as much detail or thought as I wanted to initially, but. This is a good thing. Inter Miami had two shots on target in this game, and they scored both of those goals. So that means Inter Miami was very effective. They didn't need a whole lot of chances. They didn't need five, six, seven, eight shots on target to score the two goals that they needed to win this game. And this was against the Philadelphia Union team, by the way, that was full strength. You know, Philadelphia Union had uh, a CONCACAF Champions League match looming. After they played Inter-Miami, they could have easily rotated players uh, for the Inter-Miami game and then gone with the full-strength lineup for a CONCACAF Champions League, which I thought they would do, but they didn't. They went full-strength against Inter-Miami, and Inter-Miami beat them. So even more merit for Inter-Miami for those three points. But going back to the attack, Inter-Miami made the most out of the chances it had in this game. There's been games in the past. There's been iterations of Inter-Miami in the past that have had eight, nine chances, seven shots on target, and they haven't put enough away. They'll put one away, and that, that that's not enough. And and Phil Neville has talked in post games, many post games in the past, about how you know they couldn't they couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. They didn't make the most of their chances. Here, they made the most of their chances, and that is a sign, a positive sign for a team, because it shows that you don't need a whole lot of clear cut quality chances to punish the opponent. Now, if you can create more, of course, absolutely, you'll take it. But if you're effective with the chances you do have, which they were in this one, that's fine. Because, you know, it doesn't help if you create 8, 9, 10 chances, but you only put one away. So the fact that Inter-Miami was effective, I think that's a positive sign. But with that, both of the goals came from outside the box. Inter-Miami's four goals this season, none have been scored by the number 9 or the number 10. That part of the field is still lacking. Hasta ahorita, until now, no aparece Joseph Martinez. Joseph Martinez has yet to really appear on the field. Yes, he's had some nice touches. He, you know, he's involved. He, but in terms of making a real impact, he hasn't been there yet. I know he's not 100% fit. But Inter Miami has won these last two games and scored four goals without a number nine putting that ball in the back of the net. Which means that they can improve. They can be even better. But it is something that has to be worked on. Your thoughts? Yes, I totally agree with that. I think um, I was talking about Stefanelli and him not able to play the whole 90 minutes yet. I think it's the same with Josef. And I think uh, we saw his frustration when he was substituted for Ari on, on the game against the Philadelphia. But I think he knows. I think he knows he's not 100% that he needs to get there. Listen, um, Phil is giving him the opportunity, especially because now they don't have Campana in this moment. But I don't think Phil is going to change his formation or he's going to drive back from this formation to come to go and play with two strikers. If by the time that Campana is back, Joseph is not 100 percent because he has shown promise in his time on the field, but uh, he's not his old self. And listen, maybe he, he could never return to be his old self because he had a bad injury. And when that happens, players uh, have it very difficult to come back and, and perform as 
it is expected from them. That is totally normal. But uh, I think Joseph needs to get comfortable uh, with how Inter Miami is playing, uh, the responsibilities that he has. And listen, uh, with one in the top, it's very hard. It's very hard. Yes, they had the ball the first 30 minutes against Philadelphia in this in this in this match, but you didn't see Joseph participating that much. So mm-hmm. it's it's really hard for him, especially when he's alone as a striker. It's it's gonna be hard. So I don't expect when Campana comes back that they are both going to be playing at the same time. I don't expect that. So you don't think they the four four two diamond is the number one look. No, I think after Phil has seen this and how the team is playing and how the possibilities, especially that with the changes that he makes, he can change the game. He can revitalize the team without needing a proper striker because he now has has Bryce, he has Robert Taylor, he has Ariel Lassiter, and then he's going to have Lacava, Borgelin, or whatever, who else is on the bench. But he has that option, and Miami finally has enough firepower on the bench to get that if they are losing in the second half or they need to win the game in the second half if they are tying. So I don't think with what Joseph has shown, uh, it will be convincing for Phil to go back to the diamond playing with, with both strikers at the same time. So I'm not so convinced yet that he's... Moving away from the four four two diamond, if and when Campana and Jose Martinez are both healthy and in form, like I still think right now, right now this is my sensation. I still think the four four two diamond is the number one look. Now, do I think the four two three one has given Phil Neville something to think about? Absolutely. Would I stick with the four two three one based on what we've seen? Yes, I would. But I'm not so sure Phil Neville's ready to to go away from that four four two. Not just yet. Not just yet. But we'll see. We'll see what happens when Campana is healthy again. Still on a week-to-week or day-by-day. And you you can't see me, but I'm doing the quotation uh, mark here, um, gesture with my fingers. Because, yeah. He was doing gym work. Right. So it doesn't look like he's going to be ready for the game against New York City FC. Which we'll get to in just one second. Quickly back to Joseph Martinez before we put a bow on this game against the Philadelphia Union. He has football to him, and he still has that that feistiness and that competitiveness, which has you know defined him here in MLS. And yeah. I, and I like and I like that. And I see those characteristics still there. What I haven't seen from him, and again, he's not one hundred percent fit, one hundred percent sharp. I understand that, but what I'm not seeing, and this could be due to age, could be due to the injury, could be due to all of that. A lot of it is coming underneath him. Like he he's checking for the ball, he's flicking it on, he's he's playing one touch passes, laying the ball off, but I'm not seeing him make diagonal runs in behind. I'm not seeing him, you know, stretch that defense. Like er- everything is to his feet. Right. So yes. he's so he's it's scared. not so he's it's scared. not in the final th- I don't know if he's scared. I just don't know if he's going to be the same he, player. He's, he's not, not the making same. Yes. Right. He's not making yes. those runs into the final third where if you feed the striker and you play the ball into space, then he's got an open look on goal. It's more being, you know, they're checking the ball to him. It, it's all underneath. It's all uh, behind him instead of in front of him. Yes. Right? So, like, he's not being put in positions, or he's not putting himself, excuse me, rather, he's not putting himself in more dangerous positions to put the ball into the back of the net. And I think, uh, I don't know, I don't know 
how he can get that back, I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I, but that, that's normal. that's the concern. Injury, like, but it's been like it's been had... years, Andrea. It's been years now. Like, is he going to get that back? Is he going to become that player again? I that have... is what I was saying. Sometimes player never players never come back to to what they were, and it it could be the case case with Joseph because listen. When he came to MLS, we came accustomed to see him play like the way you're describing. And with an injury like the one that he has, it's almost impossible to go back and do the same. Because, you know, if he does that and someone, let's say, the Sergei Christophe of another team, New York City FC doesn't have your compatriot Callens anymore. But let's say Callens was there and Callens hits him on the leg that he suffered the injury. It would be his career done because he's gonna he would get injured again. That is what happens with the injury. So for a striker, it's more noticeable, especially for a striker like Joseph, because Joseph was very physical and like you were describing him, but it's not there anymore. Maybe he can build up on him and it's gonna help him that he plays now for a team that doesn't play in a synthetic field, that is gonna help him tremendously so hopefully we see his progression uh during the season but in this moment he's not there yeah and and that's something that i think inter miami as a whole benefit from if and when he can get there when campana comes back and he can provide that because that's that's what's been missing in that final third and if you look at the two games is there one play one real dangerous chance that joseph martinez has had that comes to mind no no i, I remember one shot that he had against uh, CF Mon- Montreal, yeah, uh-huh. where, but he shot it. It was away. It was outside the box, and he shot it wide to the right. So um, he he has yet to really test the opposing goalkeeper again. He's not a hundred percent sharp or hundred percent fit. As he gets better, maybe maybe it'll come. But right and now, I'm not seeing if we, him. If we if he had Campana, because obviously for a striker, it's easier when you get someone else to do that job. And we have seen Campana be that he's able to do that job because he is. A little bit more physical, more more taller, more has a more athletic buildup than what Joseph has in this moment. So it would have been different to see them both start playing together. I think for Joseph, for the team, and 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 for especially both of them. But now that he's all alone there, it's gonna be difficult to for him to get to his form a hundred percent if he's not getting as many touches, as many chances as as he wished he had. Well, Inter Miami will benefit from the eventuality that a number nine, whoever it is, can give them more dangerous play in that final third. Because, again, they're, they're winning games right now with without that. Now, if they can add that, incorporate that to what they've shown so far, then they're that much more of a dangerous team. Andrea, very quickly, let's just preview the game this weekend against New York City FC. Inter Miami's first road game of 2023. They travel to the very compact Yankee Stadium field to play a very different New York City FC. Another Eastern Conference game. It's a good opportunity to continue this strong start to the season because this NYCFC team is not, uh, again, it's it's missing quite a few players. You touched on Alexander Collins, no longer uh, part of that, that NYCFC roster. They've lost several other players as well. They're not off to a great start this season. They lost on the road to Nashville SC 2-0 in their season opener. And then they tied on the road against Chicago Fire 1-1. So, this is a good chance, I think, for Inter-Miami. I think if you get a draw in this one, 
you're happy. If you get three, you're ecstatic. But I think there's a real, real, real chance you got to get something from this. And I think that they can get something from this. And I think that they should get something from this. Going on the road's not easy, especially on that small field. But I think the the chips are there for Inter Miami to pull out a result. Andrea, what's your key to the game for Inter Miami in this one? I think the key to the game for Inter Miami is to keep uh, the ball possession, to to take it away from New York City, especially in that small field. It will benefit them tremendously not to give the ball away to a team that knows how to play in, in those dimensions. And um, if they can keep that, they, they are not going to suffer a lot in defense. I, I I can't imagine Sergei's face when he sees that field. He's going to be <laughs> disappointed, man. He's going to say, what is this? Negri also and Stefanelli, they're going to be horrified. But I think if they can keep that, the ball, if they can keep uh, not give it away like they've done against New York City FC historically in playing in baseball fields, not only in Yankee Stadium, but in the other stadium, also in City Field, uh, they they can have a chance. They can have a chance, especially because New York City FC is not the team that was last year and not remotely the team that was the champion a couple of years ago. So um, this is the chance for Miami to get that first result in, in New York City's house. They could win it. I, I can see them winning this game if if they play it well, if they can remain compact and, and be intelligent in the way they played in that small field. I agree with you. I think possession is the key to the game in this one. It's a small field. It lends itself to transitions. It lends itself to uh, chances for, especially the home team, which is comfortable, which knows the field, knows the dimensions. It's used to it a little bit more. I think keeping the ball, knocking it around, and taking some of the sting away from NYCFC in that way will help. And again, this is a weekend NYCFC team. No Collins, no Sean Johnson, who's now with Toronto FC. You know, th- th- that defense is not what it was. And I think it's reminding me with what it's shown, it can it can make NYCFC pay. So I definitely think it reminds me has what it takes to pull out a victory. A draw is also a good result for them. Not Listen. The, not the best, but it's a good one. Losing kind of takes away some of the positive shine from the start of the season so i I think they need a result yeah yeah. especially because they have not gotten good results there historically since that team's inception so it will be important this is the moment to to do it because as we have been talking new york city fc is not the same uh it's not even a great team uh, or or a team that has a lot of expectations this season. So um, Inter Miami should take advantage of that, especially because uh, there are their rivals in, in the conference and they are the rivals that eliminated them um, in the They're last opponents. Season. Rivals means opponents. like, like yeah. your, your enemy, which is Orlando City for Inter Miami. But I get what your point is. I get what your point yeah, is. So... Uh, okay, end it out quickly, and this will close out this segment. Line up for Inter Miami. Same exact thing. Equipo que gana no se toca? Yes. The same. Okay, I agree. Franco Negri, again, trained with the team on Tuesday, so he should be healthy and ready to go. As far as we know right now, no other players uh, from that starting group have an injury right now. So I think it's the same lineup. All right, well, we'll leave it there. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back for a very quick Q&A session. Our final thoughts, we'll do that after this.
Q&A time. Andrea, by the way, you've kind of gotten away a little bit from your Ajisita moniker. I know in this <laughs> this week's pod, you know, we're more in line. We're more in agreement. You know, team's winning. So a lot more kumbaya for us here. But I don't know. Lately, I haven't felt you go in as hard as you used to. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but uh, let's see. Let's see. They're winning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's go. Quick, quick Q&A. First one comes from Holly Holman, and I'll leave this one for you, Andrea. Chances Pizarro renews his contract for less than DP money? No chance. I... He's still young, and he wants a uh, uh, possibility. If you hear his uh, thoughts today, I think you would be sure that, that if he wanted to stay in this league. He would want to conserve his DP status. I agree that there's almost next to no chance that he signs anything less than a DP deal. I mean, he's on a DP deal now. Why, you know, why would he take less? Unless he's so happy in Inter Miami. Unless he's tiene tanta alegría from here until <laughs> next year. Like I don't see him just taking less than DP money. I mean, he's going to want to get paid. Um, and that's you know I, I just I don't see him back I don't see him back especially because he would be he would be older and it would be one of the last chances that he would get to get that kind of amount of money right right so let's okay let's go to another one it's from Damon Star eighty if Inter Miami was not an MLS team what team would you guys support in MLS and why so I don't. Support Inter Miami. I cover yeah. Inter Miami. I really enjoy covering Inter Miami. I'll say this: I have fallen in love with covering Inter Miami. The good, the bad, the ugly. Absolutely, I'm a South Florida guy. Having a team in in my hometown in my market is great, and it's awesome to be able to go to a stadium on a on a weekly basis. Um, you know, something I couldn't do earlier in my career when I was go, you know when I had to move to New Jersey and cover the Red Bulls. So I. I really enjoyed that aspect of it, but I don't actively root for Inter Miami. I don't think Andrea does either, and I don't think Jose Only does one either. team in my heart. And that is? The best team in the world. Which... Motawa FC. Uh... <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I would have respected you more if you would have said Real Madrid, which I know you're also a fan of. But, yes, but... Um, Anyway, anyway. <laughs> no, uh, hey, I, I want to say something. Uh, I don't support any team in MLS. I share Franco's sentiment. Uh, you you come to to get an appreciation for the team that you cover because you go every week, every game, every day. You appreciate the players, but um, I don't really have a team in MLS. I had a team in in the United States, and it disappeared. It was the Florida Strikers, so that was my team. Uh, I will say that I'm a fan. Of the Peruvian national team, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I wear the jersey and I sit in the stands and, and I do all that. But um, as far as MLS goes, no, 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 uh, no, no alliances with anyone. I mean, look to, to have a little more fun with the question. I'll say Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Pedro Alese, Peruvian national team goalkeeper, he in this last game he was wearing purple shorts, like Orlando's color. But he's wearing a pink jersey, which I think is ridiculous. I know it's Adidas. I know it's MLS. I know there's stock jerseys. But how can you wear your opponent's, like your rival's color? How does that happen? Like, Inter Miami at one point was wearing pink and purple on a goalkeeper jersey yes. like a year or I, two ago. And I hated it. I hated it. Yes. You should not wear 
your rival's color ever. I agree ever, with that. Ever. I w- when the media game and we interviewed the guy behind La Palma, uh, I was going to ask about the goalkeeper shirts. I didn't have a chance because the interview was short, but I really wanted to ask about the goalkeeper shirt because as you mentioned now with Galese and we have seen Drake Callender and Nick Marsman especially. And Nick Marsman with that aberration. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask them why do you not put any effort on the goalkeeper shirt? But I guess it's because of the league and the contract with Adidas. But it's it's it would be nice if we got uh, the goalkeepers looking sharp and looking different. I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this to, 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 to have more fun with the question. Because there's a lot of teams that have a lot of things you could be like, man, that's you know, something you could really look up to or, or like. But I think LAFC has done a lot of things right in terms of the fan experience. And I've gone to that stadium to cover games and, you know, their supporters group, they ha- throw a heck of a party as well. And, and and the vibe in the stadium and the overall atmosphere, I think LAFC definitely has done a lot of things right. Um, so I'm not saying that's who I would support, but I, I like a lot of what they've done. From the outside, I, you know, I, I think that they've they've built a, a good culture in a short amount of time, and they're very competitive on the field as well, which absolutely helps. Okay, let's leave it there for the Q and A session. There was a question about the latest on Messi, but we haven't really heard anything uh, new. I still think Inter Miami makes a very serious push, and that's from Naya Nagal. It says, please, can you tell what's the latest on Messi regarding the Inter Miami move? Has there been any progress? As far as that I know, that was going no to be my final thought. Because I would, I was going to say, if you're an Inter Miami fan that wants Messi to come in in June in the summer, then tomorrow you need to support Bayern because if PSG wins, Messi is not coming. <laughs> so that was a <laughs> hybrid there between Andrea's final thought and uh, an additional bonus Q uh, question for the Q and A session. So there we go. We just knocked off two birds with one stone. My final thought. Something I've been wanting to touch on for a couple weeks now, and it's that the La Noche jersey for me is the best jersey Inter Miami has ever made. We haven't seen it in the regular season yet. They've been wearing the the heartbeat pink jersey, but the La Noche jersey, and it's not because I wore one at the media game, but I think it's the best jersey Inter Miami has ever made. And the reason for it is because there's more contrast to it than any other Inter Miami jersey to date. You know, it's predominantly black but it has a lot of touches of pink so there's more contrast there it more catches the eye and the the shade of pink is more eye-catching as well so it pops a little bit more so i like the look i definitely hate the monochrome crest i get why they did it i get what they were going for i understand it but i think the only thing for me for my overall taste my jersey likes and dislikes i think if it had been the regular crest with the same design, I think it would have been perfection. Perfection. Best jersey Inter Miami has had to date. Next year when they unveil a new home jersey, hopefully it's pink with a little bit more black. So that there's more of a contrast. But absolutely, La Noche to me, best Inter Miami jersey uh, to date. Absolutely. I, maybe we should do a power rankings at some point. I think that that first uh, that first away jersey during the 2020 season with the three stripes on the right shoulder, I think that's absolutely probably the worst one they've had but anyway all right we can talk about that later <laughs> let's leave it there for now you guys have been listening to miami total football radio so for andrea yanis i am franco Penizo signing off talk to you guys again next week